0: I'm Joel Parker. And I'm Susan Moran. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, August 16th, 2016.
1: Coming up, Dr. Mark Edwards, an environmental engineer from Virginia Tech, will discuss how he uncovered one of the nation's biggest drinking water contamination crises in Flint, Michigan, how many other cities in the U.S. face water contamination threats, and how this is as much a political problem as an infrastructure problem.
0: We begin with a look at
1: some of the recent news in science. You may have had a suntan at the beach, but did you know that you can claim to also have a galaxy tan? In a paper recently published in the Astrophysical Journal, researchers calculated how much light hitting the Earth comes from different sources. As you might guess, the majority of light comes from the sun, even on many nights when the sunlight is reflected from the moon. But In addition to all those solar photons, there is light coming from the stars you see in our sky. Those are stars in our own Milky Way galaxy. And also from distant galaxies that are too faint for your eyes to see. Light from those distant galaxies and even distant black holes and supernova and glowing nebula make their way to the Earth. Some of those photons have been traveling the stretches of the universe for billions of years. And if you are out getting a suntan, some of those ancient photons contribute to your tan. About 10 billion photons per square meter per second are from those extragalactic sources. Now, that sounds like a lot, but compared to the number of photons coming from the sun, only about 10 trillionths of your tan comes from photons beyond our galaxy. And back here on Earth,
0: here's some rare good news in conservation. It appears to be the fastest successful recovery for any mammal listed on the Endangered Species Act. Last week, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service removed from Endangered Species Protection three subspecies of island fox, which are native to Southern California's Channel Islands. This furry creature, that's about the size of a domestic cat, had been on the brink of extinction. Just 12 years ago, the three subspecies were granted endangered species status after their populations plummeted by 90%. Major culprits were the pesticide DDT and a viral disease. In the Act's 43-year history, 19 of the 37 total ESA delistings due to recovery have happened during the Obama administration. While the legislation has helped save many animals, it is not without critics. Some argue that the ESA has too narrow a mission, and that it only intervenes once a species is on the brink of extinction. But for now, raise a glass to this charismatic island fox and hope that many others, including the less charismatic, will follow in its lead on the path to recovery.
1: How good are you at making decisions or answering difficult questions? Do you think you're good at it? Are you sure? Well, in recent research, That research indicates that the more confident you are, the more likely you are to be wrong about your decision-making. Those are some of the results from an international study by scientists from Monash University and the Max Planck Institute for Human Cognitive and Brain Sciences in Leipzig. That was published in the journal Social, Cognitive, and Affective Neuroscience. People vary in their awareness of what they do and don't know, and, according to the study, generally are too confident when evaluating their own performance. This often leads to poor decision-making with potentially disastrous consequences. In the study, volunteers were monitored with a brain scanner as they watched a video of a person telling a story— Then, each volunteer had to answer a difficult question about the video and also indicated how confident they felt their response was correct. The researchers then measured how good people actually were in evaluating their own accuracy, a a process called metacognition. They found that too much confidence was associated with lower metacognitive ability. The results indicate that although being confident has a reward-like component in the brain, it can lead to overconfidence, which in turn can undermine decision-making. Are you still inspired by all those Olympian athletes? Well,
0: on the science calendar this week, this Thursday, the Denver Museum of Nature and Science will host a monthly science lounge. Its theme is Geek Cup Olympic Challenge. Yes, you can contend with champions as you go for a gold medal— The event is clearly an ode to the Rio Olympics. You can compete in creative, maybe not quite Olympian, challenges. All the while, you can view museum collections from the Amazon, taste Brazilian-inspired appetizers, and check out Samba performances by the group Samba Colorado. The event will run from 6.30 to 9.30 Thursday night. For more info, go to dmns.org. listening to How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. I'm Susan Moran. Maybe you've had a glass of water already this morning. Did you think about whether it's truly clean and safe? How would you know? Some residents of Colorado have been affected by tap water that has been contaminated by toxic chemicals used in the oil and gas drilling. And we'll discuss that more on the public health impacts of energy development on the show next week. Other threats related to the source of water and the pipes that deliver it loom in other regions. Flint, Michigan, stands as a recent and haunting example of tap water that has been contaminated by lead and of the failure of government officials to disclose the extent of the problem and put a lid on it. Last year, thanks largely to the dogged investigation of an environmental engineer from Virginia, all of us nationwide were rattled by the exposure that Flint residents were drinking poisoned tap water. Dr. Mark Edwards is the environmental engineering professor from Virginia Tech who led the charge. He and his team uncovered the extent to which many Flint residents were drinking highly contaminated water, and he's been instrumental in helping the city invest properly to fix the problem. He knows more than anyone that only a few cities in the U.S. are reporting safe levels of lead in their water supply, in fact. More than a decade ago, he discovered high levels of lead in the water supply of the nation's capital. Dr. Edwards is on the phone to discuss what happened in Flint and how other cities, towns, schools, and households in the U.S. have faced or could face similar problems, and what cities can do to prevent similar water contamination crises from happening. Dr. Edwards, welcome to How on Earth, and thanks for taking the time.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Let's start with just, if you could... I know many know about some of these issues, but remind listeners what happened and when in Flint and how you came onto the scene from actually hundreds of miles away to investigate it.
2: In Flint, Michigan, they changed water sources uh, to temporarily try to save water while a new pipeline was being built to Lake Huron. And for reasons that aren't very clear at the present time, they forgot to add corrosion control chemical to the water, a chemical called orthophosphate that's added to about half the water supplies in the United States. And it's a law that you have a corrosion control program and this is so important we have someone in state government to make sure that this law is followed. But
0: And this is for any like existing pipes or if you transfer to from one system to another.
2: That's right. And the general idea is that without this chemical, uh, the water can eat the pipes up. And if you have lead pipes, which Flint does, a lot of lead can go off into the drinking water and uh, poison children. And Flint, of course, uh, residents were complaining about this water almost from the start. All the red rust was pouring out because the water was eating up the steel pipes.
0: And from the start, you mean, you're talking mid, early last year?
2: yes, this was early 2014, and they complained about it for 18 months, and eventually uh, they were being told all the time, it just looks bad, it's it's not, it's perfectly safe, it's meeting all the laws, and eventually a Flint mom figured out that it was not safe. Uh, her, one of her twins had become uh, lead poisoned, and she figured out on her own that the state was not following the law. She enlisted an EPA employee to help her reveal the fact that uh, Flint was in danger, and uh, his memo detailing the problem to Flint was was completely ignored and covered up.
0: Ignored by point, EPA officials.
2: Well, by everyone, yeah. unfortunately. And uh, at that point, uh, we formed a collaboration with Flint residents. Uh, We have a a 40-person Flint water study team. We asked for volunteers because we felt that an environmental crime and environmental injustice was occurring. And we went and worked alongside Flint residents and exposed the fact that their water was not safe to drink. It had while it had, uh, it was meeting all other federal re- regulations at the time, it was very discolored, as you could see plainly, and it was also had too much lead, and that that's what triggered uh, the Flint water crisis, when ultimately it was shown that the kids were drinking this water had double the incidence of elevated blood lead by a local pediatrician. And uh, for Dr. these, Mona
0: right, and for these twins and others, what maybe you could describe some of the actual neurological and other health effects of a lead poisoning?
2: Lead is the best-known neurotoxin. has no uh, benefits. It adversely affects every system in the human body, and for that reason, it's official government policy that we have to do everything possible to prevent lead exposure whenever they occur because the damage is irreversible.
0: And have there been findings that there's been sort of IQ drop or just what's been known is expected to have effect uh, yeah. down the road. I mean,
2: I, this, yeah, there's no disputing the harm that lead does. And I, I think the silver lining here, if there is one, is first off, we were able to get p- kids protected before the worst of the harm mm. could occur. Uh, the government response has been pretty good. The state since October and the federal government since January of this year, about 40, $400 million have poured into Flint to help uh, help Flint get back on fleet feet in terms of health uh, assistance, and so that's $40,000 per child. And uh, So it's been a little bit reassuring to see, despite the failure that occurred initially, that um, in the end people really did step up and, and try to help this, this, correct this environmental injustice.
0: So it sounds like initially your findings were... Disregarded or kind of overlooked, but that over time, particularly in the last six we, months or so, that's It's changed. safe
2: to say we weren't very popular huh. when we contradicted the state, who was claiming had been claiming for eighteen months the water was perfectly safe. We had a, a very you know public uh, difference of opinion, and unfortunately, our point of view uh, was proven to be true in the blood of Flint's children.
0: And I'm curious on a personal level. I mean, what? made you from, what, 600 miles away or so, get this engaged as a, as a researcher, a so-called neutral researcher, and become, in essence, also an activist and an investigative reporter, really?
2: Well, you know, unfortunately, I, I was involved in a similar water crisis in Washington, D.C. in 2001 to about 2007 that was actually 30 times worse than Flint, but this time the government agencies completely covered up the harm until 2010 when a congressional investigation revealed that, uh, in our peer-reviewed paper, that thousands of Washington, D.C. children had been lead poisoned from water. So I I knew that another Washington, D.C. was inevitable because the agencies never said they were sorry (laughs) for what they did. No one was ever held accountable. And when I got the call from Flint, uh, I knew that it was probably this was it.
0: Wow. And I'm curious, to what degree is this an infrastructure crisis or a political and or racial justice crisis? I mean, Flint itself is what I think 40 percent of the population lives in poverty. The majority are African-American and its economy that had been historically so centralized on GM. And GM hasn't totally pulled out. But I mean, I was there recently and saw probably 30 percent of homes dilapidated. Like surrounded by trees. And it just seems like over the decades, there's been clearly a retrenchment by GM, but a collapse or, or at least gradual dissolution of the economy. But how does that backdrop fit into what, what had happened and why?
2: There's something in Flint that strikes a chord and is up deeply unsettling to all Americans. Hmm. Uh, and that's part of the reason there's been such a, a heartwarming response and, you know, roughly half a billion dollars has been mobilized to help the city recover. Certainly anyone who lived in Flint, uh, you know, we video, we went and videotaped people getting arrested at, at city council meetings for complaining about their water. Uh, they were not living in a democratic uh, situation at the time. And, uh, you know, if anyone lived there and felt that this was because being done to them because they were poor or minority, I really cannot blame them because uh, Mm. I would have felt the exact same way. My own experience is tempered by the fact that I saw the exact same thing, but 30 times worse happen in Washington, D.C., which is the most powerful city in the United States. And there the agencies got away with it and it was 30 times worse. And so, had I not witnessed Washington D.C., I would have I would have believed it it, it was um, because they were poor and minority as well. But I know better. It's just frankly, it's corrupt government agencies. But it does not a democratic corruption. Yeah, I mean it cuts across. (laughs) I mean these are career civil servants who refuse to do their job uh, as scientists and engineers, and who with no profit motive. Uh, change from the environmental policemen that we pay them to be to become environmental criminals. And so, you know, it doesn't change the the fact that this was an environmental injustice. Um, But, you know, I mean, people look at this through different lenses of their experience, obviously.
0: Right. I know a recent report by NRDC, the Natural Resources Defense Council, called this crisis a, quote, full-blown national scandal.
2: Does Uh, that seem accurate? Yeah, well, yeah, and, and indeed, add in the event 10 years in Washington, D.C., um, which, which made Flint inevitable. Uh, it, it's, it's one of the most horrifying examples of a government failure I think I've ever heard of in a, in a democratic society.
0: Boy, and we'll switch to um, sort of where are we now beyond Flint, including here in Colorado. We're going to take a little station break now. You're listening to KGNU, 88.5 FM, 1390 FM. And we're talking to Dr. Mark Edwards. He's an environmental engineering professor at Virginia Tech, and he led the investigation into the lead in drinking water crisis in Flint, Michigan. And he's on a crusade of sorts to make sure more flints don't happen elsewhere. So on that note, it's hardly, as you noted with D.C. and elsewhere, Flint was not the first. It will not be the last. Just in the last few months, we've got several different cases of lead poisoning in Portland, Oregon, in Chicago, and elsewhere. I mean, what, what's happening? And is it sort of like once you are on the track to detecting and reporting, it looks like more are actually happening?
2: Well, I mean, we've been screaming about this failure to follow the existing Lenin Water Law now for 10 years, and the U.S. EPA uh, has, has stabbed us in the back uh, until Flint occurred, and they realized how bad this looked. And what you're seeing is communities across the country turning over your rocks, essentially, and looking and seeing, hey, what's in my water? Mm. And in too many cases, and I'm not the least bit surprised, but people are, something slimy comes out, whether it's uh, you know, looking at the water in the schools and, or in your houses or how the utilities are monitoring for this. And it's really a betrayal of the public trust. Again, these are engineers and scientists. We pay to protect us we have a law we've had the debate about what level of lead in water is safe about how important it is to protect children from it and the water industry and the EPA were just cheating on that law and they've been doing so for about 15 years and i think people are are feeling betrayed and upset by about that and you know that There's something to be said there about what that means for other laws that are a little bit more difficult to understand than let in kindergarten classrooms, for example. Mm -hmm. It says something about how our infrastructure can only be neglected so long before we kind of lose civilization. Uh, That's a powerful statement.
0: I mean, it was built on (laughs) water infrastructure, in fact, right?
2: Yes, indeed. And when Rome lost their aqueducts, they also lost 95 percent of their population. And the fact that Flint residents over the last uh, two years have not been able to use their water for, for cooking or drinking, but essentially they were paying the highest water bills in the country for water that was suitable only for flushing toilets. Uh, so you can only neglect your infrastructure so long before uh, you pay a huge price. And in America, if you want to talk about disparities, talk about the disparities in, in infrastructure. Talk about how in these post-industrial cities and in rural America that that have lost 60-plus percent of their population, where they can no longer afford to maintain their pipe system, they can no longer afford to meet EPA laws. And so this is a a crisis that extends beyond Flint that's largely been out of sight, out of mind, because it's in a part of America that's been left behind.
0: Boy, it's such an economic crisis as much as infrastructure, technology, politics.
2: Well, and it's also, I think, a new paradigm because we never had to deal with uh, cities in the United States losing population and getting to a tipping point where those who are left. Uh, could not afford to maintain their infrastructure. And I think we all have, as a society, we have to think very, very carefully, is this a country we want to live in where our poorest and most vulnerable in Flint um, don't have access to safe and affordable water? And it's easy to have one opinion when you're uh, you know, in one of the growing, wealthy cities of this country that the, the, the infrastructure is in great shape. But if you go to Flint, if you go to these rural uh, towns that have been left behind, you see that this is, this is harming the elderly and our children. It, it's really shocking. And I don't think you'd ever look at the problem the same again.
0: So it sounds like this disparity is really, at least geographically and socioeconomically between urban and very rural areas and, or well, are urban areas just as afflicted?
2: No, it really is uh cities that were overbuilt where um a, a large percentage of their population has left and you now have a big infrastructure and you don't have people behind left to use it and who can afford to pay for it and literally the infrastructure falls apart and people cannot uh, maintain it so this is this is really something that is that is harming uh, rural America Uh, and the post-industrial cities. And we we just never lived or anticipated a world where you might lose 60% of your population. Our our ways of funding our cities, they, they just don't work in that kind of environment.
1: Yeah.
0: So what about in cities like Boulder, Denver, sort of our region here? How does one know if the drinking water is clean and safe and not harmful to our health, even when it's not slimy and sticky, milky brown?
2: Well in general I think that the water industry has done a pretty good job of, of producing safe clean water that's affordable in the United States. What you now have is a crisis of trust across the country mm. because we've we've seen enough cities are cheating on the lead and copper rule. That This this is the law that you refer to. Yeah, the EPA law that that protects us from from the best known neurotoxin. And then it draws into question it, who can I trust? <laughs> even if your local utility is, has been completely forward and is doing the best science and has been honest, uh, it, trust is a fragile thing. And hmm. um, So, yeah, Denver, they do have lead pipes. I've got no reason to doubt that the people there are, are generally trustworthy. But then again, even I would not be surprised if uh, they were gaming the system because, uh, and essentially cheating and making lead and water look low when when it's sampled for EPA rules and allowing it to be high when people to drink it. And so I myself have gone beyond this tipping point where, frankly, nothing would surprise me anymore. I mean, huh. there's just so many cities that have been cheating on this rule. Uh, it, it's going to take decades for uh, the public trust to be restored, assuming that the water industry and EPA are trustworthy, which they are not right now.
0: Wow. So we've got time for just a couple more. I wanted to ask. So let's just take it on a personal individual level or city wide level. Water sampling's not a cheap proposition, as you know more than anyone. Maybe it's getting cheaper, but what can individuals do? I know there's sort of a journalism project now to get more water sampling in many more cities and you've done a lot well you to can promote if you're
2: that. wealthy you can afford to have your huh. water tested but the, the the problem with lead in water is that you can test your water many times and what we realize you get 10 results that are low and think your water's safe and then a chunk of lead can fall out in your next glass of water and the levels of lead in, in tap water are so high that um, you know, sometimes in kindergarten classrooms we're getting single drinks of water that are like the equivalent of eating 11 lead paint chips. You oh, uh, can elevate your, your lead and blood from zero up to three, four, five times higher than uh, CDC levels of concern. So what we're, you know, we're working on the science now, and I think the answer is going to be in many schools that have old plumbing uh, to put filters into the schools to clean the water up. Uh, I think that's going to be the answer as long as we have lead in our plumbing, that we have a hazard and our water's not trustworthy.
0: Huh. Well, as I take another sip, I wonder what else do you want to leave listeners with?
2: Uh, just this that idea that there are just so many Americans who've been left behind, who are living in uh, situations where they cannot afford to maintain their town or city's infrastructure, and that we as a society we don't have a way to help them maintain a basic level of civilization. When I when I speak of that I'm talking about access to clean, affordable water. And without that, your city has no future.
0: Well, well on that note, um and we'll cover more on the water issues, but thank you so much for coming on the show, Doctor Edwards. Take care. That was Dr. Mark Edwards is an environmental engineering professor at Virginia Tech, and he led the investigation into the lead in drinking water crisis in Flint, Michigan.
1: That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is Susan Moran. She also produced this week's show, and which was engineered by me, Joel Parker.
0: Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music from Carlos Nakai.
1: Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter.
0: Please do. And questions or comments, call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Susan Moran.
1: And I'm Joel Parker.